Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. On today's episode, we're chatting with Gary Kim, chef owner of Mr. Kim's in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hey guys, before we get started with our interview, I want to tell you about Image Unlimited Communications, a PR agency that cares about restaurants just as much as we do. This Boston-based firm has a unique and effective personalized approach, and they've got the local and national media clips to prove it. With a sharp focus on lifestyle, restaurants, and consumer goods, the agency has the contacts and the hustle to get you the placements that really move the needle for your brand. Whether you're looking for help with public relations, event planning, digital marketing, or social media, Image Unlimited Communications is here to help. Check them out at www.iucboston.com. That's iucboston.com. Hey, Catherine, how are you feeling today? I am feeling so much better. Thank God. Yeah. I was really worried about you and your family there for a minute with the... It was like contagion at my house. So for anyone who doesn't know, because why would you unless you were one of the three people that follow me on Instagram, <laughs> um, my four-year-old came down with a flu, which was horrible. But then I also came down with a flu. And then my three-month-old baby Pete came down with a flu. And then my flu turned into pneumonia. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty terrible. And this is the first time... I'm like out and about. And even though I'm not contagious, poor Molly is over here having a panic attack, <laughs> spraying me with Lysol. I wish I could wear a face mask right now to avoid your germs, but I don't think you can do that while you podcast. <laughs> I mean, the good news is we're in this little, you know, cave. unventilated cave, <laughs> six inches from each other's faces. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm feeling I'm feeling way better. Just a little, uh, little rundown from the pneumonia. How are you feeling? I'm great. I'm trying to stay healthy. I leave town next week for my 30th birthday, so Woohoo! I'd really like to not get the plague before then. Yeah. Um, but thank you for coming in today. I'm so happy to be here. It brings me a lot of joy to not be at home surrounded by sick, crying children. Happily, everyone is, is better now. I can imagine. Yeah. So who are we talking to today? Today, it's Gary Kim. He's coming in from Portsmouth from his pretty new restaurant, Mr. Kim's. Yep. When did that open again? Last year? It was last year. And I'm so excited that he has a restaurant again. He's one of those chefs that I've just, I loved his food at Anjou and he left to go do other things. Um, and I was just waiting. He had a few pop-ups, uh, but I've definitely been following him along. Uh, and he's been kind of keeping me in the loop of what he was he was up to. And I'm just so excited uh, that he has a brick and mortar again and that he's back in his like spiritual home of Portsmouth. So it's very exciting. Yeah, you were the one to introduce me to the, the food scene in general in Portsmouth and Kittery, which is why we have two guides on the food lens, one for Portsmouth, one's for Kittery. Pushing, pushing, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just such, it's really a great weekend getaway. And I haven't, although I haven't been to Mr. Kim's yet, it's high on my list since you've been. You'll love it. It's like great cocktails, Asian small plates. It's really just Gary stretching his legs and doing whatever he wants, and it's working really well. Yeah, I can't wait to pick his brain about the food, the cocktails, the vibe. Can't wait to hear all about it. Let's get him in here. So, Gary, I'm so excited that you're here. I um, 
for people who are not familiar with Gary Kim, uh, not that anybody wouldn't be, but you own Mr. Kim's in Portsmouth, New Correct. Hampshire. Yep. Uh, but I first met you when the Kittery, Maine food scene was really start- starting to take off and you were opening up Anjou. And yep. you had worked at Black Birch, I think. But yeah. I think a lot of our listeners uh, are somewhat familiar with the Seacoast because we've written escapes about it and we talk about it a lot. But can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your life on the Seacoast? So I moved to the Seacoast in 97, and I went to high school there in Portsmouth, um, and ultimately found myself back after trying to do the college thing, and just found myself back there and started working. So started in Portsmouth, and then I found myself across the bridge in Kittery before Black Birch had opened, and just kind of being there away from the hustle and bustle of Portsmouth, I guess, if you want to call it. But um, I was working at the Black Birch, and they allowed me, Julian and I at the time, my former business partner, um, to start using their space to make kimchi and hot sauce, which was the project to kind of gauge what the Seacoast would be like for you know fermented foods and eventually opened up a restaurant, which was always the big picture. So we did that maybe a little less than a year prior to opening Anju. Fell upon the space, loved it, and just took it. Because as Kittery, as you said, was on the rise. So we were kind of like the last piece on top of like maybe Main Meat and a couple other shops that were opening up. And we opened in Anju in May of 2014. And for people who maybe aren't as familiar with Portsmouth and, and Kittery, uh, almost a decade ago now, which is crazy to think about, the bridge that connects Kittery and Portsmouth was closed. So a lot of people were kind of freaked out because if you lived in Kittery, if you wanted to go out to eat, if you wanted to kind of have any sort of social scene, you always walked across the bridge. But what ended up happening was this really beautiful independent food scene sort of sprouted up in Kittery. And now you see it happening. You know, I call it sort of like the Brooklyn of Portsmouth or I don't know, uh, the Somerville of Portsmouth, but it's this really incredible food scene. And you were one of the first people to really you know, create that. I didn't know that story yeah. about the bridge. That's really interesting. And the only reason I knew that is because I went to UNH and I moved to Hawaii for a couple months before grad school. And when I came back, like a lot of my friends had moved to Kittery because it was super affordable and still on the seacoast. Um, and so when the bridge was closing, it was like this big, scary thing. And anyways, it was ended you know, up being a really good thing. But it really brought that whole community together for people having to go into Portsmouth. And with that bridge being a primary way to get into town, like everyone just stuck in Kittery and luckily Black Birch was there and I mean that's where everybody ended up and then you know when we opened we became a part of that it was super great right and uh and Andrew talk about the food a little bit there so for me I mean I grew up um, I was adopted I was born in Korea but um you know I was brought came to America when I was five um I had a American father and a Korean mother so I still kind of had that sense of what it would be like to be Korean or whatever you want to bring the culture and how they treat their the upbringing they give their children. I had always had a part of that. It was a kind of an identity crisis for me. Um, but Korean food has always been a part of my cooking, like just watching, you know, all the older Korean women on Sundays get together, make kimchi and make all the foods. And like, it was very like, I was obsessed with that because they weren't let me go out and do sports or anything. So I had to be at home. So, you know, I would eat a lot. But um, Anju was a noodle bar because, um, you know, people love noodles. I love noodles. And it wasn't that readily available in the area. So luckily, we were the first ones to do that. 
And so, you know, taking kind of like the Momofuku concept and borrowing David Chang's, you know, formula, the pork bun, the noodles, and then be able to slowly integrate some of the stuff that I grew up with and some things that were personal favorites of mine and then anything else that maybe would uh, pique our interest or inspiration that we wanted to eat that you still couldn't get. So it was nice to kind of fill that void with the kimchi and the hot sauce and all those great things. I went to Anju after Catherine told me about it because we produced an escape on the food lens and I had some incredible ramen, some incredible pork belly buns, and I love the hot sauce. <laughs> so it's definitely somewhere I would go back to. But you said you uh, started there in 2014, right? Mm-hmm. What happened after that? So ultimately, I had to make a tough decision. I needed to walk away from something that I helped create um, just due to personal differences and just needed to kind of get out there um, and just get out of the seacoast, just clear my head and just shake off all the bad juju that had kind of built up. So this is May of 2016. I took off and just bought a one-way ticket. Um, I headed out to L.A. Um, I had gone there earlier in March, just kind of get it to lay the land. It was my first time there. Um, I had been to like San Diego and Encinitas before. But that's where I'm from, met, Encinitas. Yeah, no, a friend from <laughs> wow. high school was from there. Really? That's, yeah. wow, small but world. Beautiful. I love SoCal. Um, but going into L.A. and like diving into Koreatown and just kind of exploring and just going on like a, my own personal Anthony Bourdain-like journey. That's um, awesome. Just eating and just meeting people. L.A. has a really cool yeah, totally. food culture. It's, it's just huge. a giant city of 8 million people with so many different food cultures in one city. It's wild. I wish it was just like all within walking distance like I know. it is in like New York, but it's so spread out. <laughs> I know. And the traffic it's can horrendous. really yeah, deter you from going somewhere. But um, I'm really, I'm really curious, Gary. Uh, it wasn't just an Anthony Bourdain thing, though, because you, as you said, you're adopted. You were born in Korea. No, like, hate to the Boston Korean food scene or let alone the New Hampshire Korean food scene. But I am curious what that was like for you to be in a place where there was, like, that amount and that quality of of food and what that was like as a chef if that, you know, uh, it did was great. for you. I, mean, it got to be, I was able to try a lot of things I had not had growing up. So it was definitely a huge exploration back into Korean food because I was like trying a lot of things I'd never had before. So that was awesome. And plus kind of really getting that sense of eating with a bunch of other people who kind of have a similar upbringing to me um, with all the flavors and stuff that I know and love. And then being able to see that kind of like next level to me, even though they're used to it if they grew up there. But for me, it was like a whole new experience. It was a brand new experience. Gary, when you were out on the West Coast, did you get a chance to eat with Roy Choi at all? And for people who don't know Roy Choi, he's like the West Coast David Chang. He uh, has Korean heritage, but grew up in East L.A. and really did an amazing job of kind of blending those two cultures. I didn't get to eat with him. So funny story is that I was on my way to L.A. for the first time, but it was a snowstorm. So my, I got stuck at Logan for 10 hours. <gasps> And Logan is not a fun airport to get stuck <laughs> no, at. We've done that before. So <laughs> I just like, you know, twiddling my thumbs and listening to podcasts and listening to music. But had I arrived there when I should have, I would have been able to meet him in um, Venice with the people that um, had introduced me to the people I know in LA. But uh, when I did meet him, <clears throat> I mean, I sought him out. I knew him about when he had first started uh, Kogi, and that was the whole fusion Korean. Mexican, which is like a huge part of what shapes the landscape, I think, in L.A., like Asian food and Mexican food and the handful of other cultures that are there. But I didn't get to eat with him. I just said hi to him and said, hey, chef, 
you know, congrats. Um, I wasn't trying to fanboy him or anything, but just shake his hand. And, but uh, a super humble guy. Obviously, you know, what I know about him is what I seen on Anthony Bourdain when they sat with him on the LA episode. And um, yeah, I don't know. I wish I could have eaten with him. See who would be fun. It's interesting. He was one of the first people to really get food trucks taken seriously. I mean, he had this amazing food truck. He was using high-end techniques. He was doing whatever the hell he wanted to cook and just putting it up on Twitter. Like, here's my food truck. Uh, and and people soon enough, up. Food and Wine, Dana, Dana Bowen was, was writing about him. So. Yeah. so did you stay put in L.A. at this no. point, or did you go elsewhere with that one-way ticket? Uh, one-way tickets for pretty much the latter part of 2016 so LA and then I went to San back to San Francisco I'd been there before um, and then I flew to Portland Oregon um, to visit a friend from high school I'd never been there and then took the train to Seattle and then I spent time in Denver then I started doing these pop-ups on the umbrella called sheep and wolves which was inspired by the sticker that a friend gave me before I left <clears throat> Kittery uh, was wolves don't lose sleep over the opinions of sheep just kind of being like you know just do whatever you want like don't care like it's your life so live your best life i like that um so just under that did a ramen pop-up in denver it was really super fun um and then came back to the seacoast and continued your pop-up continue the, the pop-ups just to kind of keep you know the creativity going and cooking but not having to be in like a formal restaurant setting so i could just pop around mm -hmm. um, the fear of commitment gary <laughs> uh, well, you sound like my girlfriend <laughs> hey i do so well you know <laughs> no i've judgment. had my own personal struggles and you know um trust issues i guess but um i i, I enjoy commitment i yeah. enjoy loyalty well i'm saying i'm just sort of joking too because it's afforded us as eaters like so many great experiences because obviously all of these travels and all these experiences have really helped shape you know, your cuisine and and I feel like you are you opened Mr. Kim's, which we'll get to. You were really ready. You know, there was it seemed like, you know, you had done all these things and eating the food there and like being that experience. It's like, oh, yeah, he was ready to maybe like put some real roots down and you put in the work with Sheep and Wolves. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that allowed me to connect with a lot of people in that regard and just kind of collaborating with people who wanted to create something special. Um, but the end game was always up and open up another restaurant, which is what Mr. Kim's has become. It encapsulates all my eating experiences, my travels, and just, you know, and most recently by working with Tony and working with that, like, caliber of a restaurant and, like, you know, seeing Ken Oranger and Jamie Bissonette. But Tony's a super humble but superbly talented guy. And I was able to see a lot of things that also helped shape, like, the menu at Mr. Kim's. But yeah, it encapsulates everything I've experienced in the last 35 years. Catherine, I have some exciting news. Remember our season one sponsor, Weinster? Yes, how could I forget? They curate great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Yep, that's right. But the exciting news is that they're officially opening their doors to their showroom in Seaport this spring. What do you mean a showroom? Can you buy the wine there? Well, you can purchase wine and join the wine club in the showroom, but you can't walk out with wine. They always ship orders direct to your door. Convenient, right? They host small groups interested in learning more about Weinster and the wineries in their portfolio for wine consultations at no cost. An expert wine consultant will lead the group through a curated menu of five wines and educate the group on each pour and the amazing small producers that make them. 
Guests will also learn about the many ways to purchase these typically hard-to-find wines, either by the bottle, through the wine club, or with many gifting options on the Winester site. Um, that sounds amazing. When are we going? I think we're overdue for a wine date now that I'm not pregnant. Totally agree. I can't wait to check it out with you. The complimentary 90-minute wine consultations are by appointment only at the showroom, so let's get on it. If you're interested in learning more, head to www.winester.com. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. So I actually haven't been to Mr. Kim's yet. I'm dying to go. Obviously, I've heard great things from Catherine. Um, but I've actually talked to a few people who've also been and loved their experience in Boston. So that was really exciting to hear. But since I've never been before, can you tell me about the ambiance, the food, the cocktails? What what should I expect? So you shouldn't expect anything. You just walk in there with a clean slate, no expectations. But it's super welcoming. Um, the story behind the it's a old building. Um, the upstairs, uh, most recently, was the cocktail bar, The Nice. Uh, but prior to that, for 10 years, was a place called The Red Door, which was a hub for a lot of like international underground music, as well as a really cool, fun, and intimate martini uh, cocktail lounge. As well as recent UNH grads who wanted to be an adult but didn't really know like what they were yeah, doing and they could know. feel kind of fancy going to the Red Door. <laughs> yeah. Speaking as Drinking the espresso martini. Oh, so many espresso martinis. I love an espresso martini still. They're coming back, by the way. <laughs> oh, they yeah. are coming back. But sorry, continue. Yeah. And then, so it's a two-level space. Um, the upstairs is our, our lounge, but there's additional seating now, now that we did some additional additions and renovations. But the downstairs was a burrito place. So we kind of had to take what was left for us and make it into like a functioning restaurant, full service restaurant. So it's marked um, by a very bright, uh, welcoming red door. Um, and I also used to DJ up there for prior to at the nice uh, at the red door oh, okay. for like five years. Cool. Um, so that's another one of your skill sets. <laughs> yeah, I just love music. I, mean, I, do I played too. trumpet when I was growing up, and so like music has been a huge part um, of my life. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a weird or a fun coming back full circle experience because I'd spent so much time there when I was younger or my twenties. I about to come back there and take over the space and make it into a restaurant. Um, it's really fun. When that space came up, like I'm curious about the order of events. Like, did that space come up and you're like? I want to be here and now is the time or were you actively looking and it just happened um, to come up? So while I was at Uni and coming back up here, I knew that I wasn't going to end up staying long term at Uni, but I just wanted to take it as far as I could. So while being up there and connecting with my friend Dave Vargas, he had just opened up the new uh, Ornell's barbecue place on the Kittery um, in the Badgers Island part of Kittery, like right on the other side of the bridge from Portsmouth. Um, started doing Monday and Tuesdays there, which they decided to close um, and started doing two separate pop-up nights. One was a noodle night um, and the other one was a Korean-inspired K-Town um, night. So I had done that for three months. And then during that time, I had spoken to Jay, who is my current business partner. He owns Jumpin' Jay's Jay is Moxie. like the restaurant He's, like, he's the restaurateur of Portsmouth. <laughs> um, and just, you know picked up our conversations when I had spoken to him as I was leaving town and then we, we reconnected and then that space had come up as being a possible location um, but you know I wasn't like going full both feet in because I wasn't sure I just still want to get a feel and didn't want to walk into something that was gonna 
you know, create unnecessary stress as I had worked so hard to get rid of that and just be in this really positive mindset, um, which is also the mantra of Mr. Kim's positive vibes only. It's like no nonsense. You know, everyone does their job, but it's a total family um, mentality like I learned at the Black Birch where like everyone does what they do. They excel at it, but they also have fun and they all come together despite, you know, any problems that might come up. But, you know, we're all working towards the same goal. Sure. And that's just to provide, you know, a dining experience that's unique to us as well as um, really great through cocktails and food. Yeah. It's such a great example of like old and new Portsmouth because, as you said, it's in this very historic building. You've kept all those historic touches, but there's also like really great, amazing wallpaper in the back and like the little, tiger mural part. The, ti- the tiger yeah. mural in the back and like pops of color and a very modern, like small plates uh, cocktail menu. You can, you know, you're. Uh, Korean influences there. So it makes me really happy because when there's rapid development anywhere, there's always like positives and negatives. And I just love Mr. Kim's because as someone who like my dad grew up in Portsmouth, I got married in Portsmouth. It's near and dear to my heart. I love seeing it evolve in a way that feels like organic and and good and like just a good sort of like positive addition to the community. So that's my little love letter to Mr. Kim's. (laughs) And I have to say, I love your mantra of positive vibes only because that's my life mantra. (laughs) My friends tease me that I'm the vibes police, but only positive vibes (laughs) ever. So I'm all, I'm on board about that. But I do want to hear about the menu at Mr. Kim's. Can you tell us about some of the food there? Yeah, totally. So as I said before, the food is always rooted in Korean, uh, Korean, um, but we're not limited to that. I mean, now we sort of use the verbiage of globally inspired Asian food, um, you know, noodles and rice plates. Um, But Anything and everything. Um, we won't just limit ourselves to Asian flavors, but the menu is a pretty focused menu. It's like 15, 16 items. Um, there's a left side where there's we encourage sharing, so the entire menu is meant to be shared, or f- for people who want to follow that traditional like three course meal and you know no sharing and just have their own thing, um, but also just for people who want snacks and have a drink. Um, but globally globally inspired Asian fare is what I like to describe it to people. Um, a lot of comfort foods that are dear to me, but also elevated with our own fun take on it. And then, you know, a few things to help the people who aren't as adventurous. So there's a little something for everybody. I guess a big play was like how Little Donkey does it. They're globally inspired tapas and being able to see that and be in the kitchen and knowing that they have no rules. They can just do whatever they want, you know, and just have fun with it while also having things that are accessible to people who aren't Uh, as adventurous. Yeah, Little Donkey actually came to mind during this conversation. Uh, Can you describe a dish or two from the menu for our listeners? So as far as kind of like our um, favorites, um, it would be our bulgogi slider. So it's Korean barbecue, which everyone knows. Bulgogi is a pretty um, well-known dish. But instead of just doing that on a rice or in a sizzling plate, we just do that in uh, King's Hawaiian Rolls. So it's sort of an homage to the pork bun that I had created in Anju, uh, but I didn't want to just recreate the same thing I did. So that's our pork bun. Um, and those we, slider rolls have got to be easier to pull out uh, than to uh, be making the individual. Oh, totally. And they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. They're so good. Um, uh, so we have the bulgogi sliders. We have dumplings where we use the... Green onion sausage that comes from the place that I used to get the ramen bones for Anju, um, main meat, um, right there in the foreside next to Anju. Um, so we get their green onion sausage, which they make, and then we make them into dumplings. 
and then just not having it be your typical um, steamed or fried dumplings. We do it with a fermented black bean mole, um, ahi, amarillo, ahi amarillo yogurt, and top with a little candy fried garlic. It's a fun play from all the Colombian food that I was eating um, from living in Winthrop and going into Eastie a bunch because that was uncharted territory for when I lived here. Because mm-hmm. I lived in Boston for five years during like the Big Dig era or the years that they had that. Um, but uh, those are a couple of things that are like the most popular and we definitely sell a bunch. Uh, the Korean rice cakes, a play off uh, the dish called dokboki, which is the Korean street food. Served in like a gochujang heavy sauce with fish cakes, but uh, we are currently doing it as a play on French onion soup uh, with grated Gruyere, um, uh, this plum wine um, instead of sherry, and caramelized onions and topped with fried shallots. Um, they've been really popular. Uh, it's been a fun uh, dish for people who just aren't used to that texture. Yeah, um, you're making me really hungry right now. The idea. <laughs> I know. But then, you know, people obviously knew me as the noodle guy, but unfairly typecasted because I can cook more than noodles. But, you know, obviously it's a comfort food that everybody loves, you know, ramen and whatnot. So we do a couple noodle dishes. We do a playoff a dish that was one of my favorites when I was in Thailand, um, khao soy. Um, so I instead of chicken. Soy. It's one of my yeah, favorite dishes this yeah, year. It's perfect. <laughs> All year round. I'm obsessed. So we do it with uh, fish um, instead of chicken, but the same flavors and everything. Um, we do a bolognese, but instead of using, you know, um, whatever Italian pasta, we use uh, Sun Noodles, which was the company that I had used for the ramen noodles at Anju. Um, and they're making this, like, knife, incredible knife-cut noodle now um, that is kind of reminiscent of, like, a tagliatelle. So it's great mouthfeel and perfect for the dish. So, like, you know, not your traditional bolognese, mm-hmm. but, you know, all the flavors, but just a little Mr. Kim's touch to it. Um <laughs> And we do a bibimbap, which obviously is another Korean staple, which everyone knows. But instead of doing the traditional barbecue beef and, like, the spinach salad and all the other things, and we do it uh, as a play off of a northern-style Chinese lamb dish. Um, so we do spicy cumin lamb with a cumin oh. sauce. We slow-roast the – we cure, and then we slow-roast the lamb and fried egg herbs. So it's, like, the Korean foundation, but with, like – northern Chinese flavors. I'm all about flavor um, and textures. So, I mean, that's kind of carried through every dish that we have. Carrie, you mentioned a couple times, like, you know, experimenting with, say, the dukbaki, which has a different kind of uh, texture than maybe people are used to. And you said... Uh, you know, everybody knows bibimbap, and in Boston, a lot of people do, but I grew up in New Hampshire, so I feel comfortable saying that a lot of people in New Hampshire have never eaten any Korean food. And obviously, you did a really smart little market test if you look way back when you guys started with the hot sauce and then you started with Anju. But I'm really curious what the reception has been like and, uh, you know, how Portsmouth is changing all the time, but how how has that worked? I will say overall that... The community has embraced us, and for the people who, you know, are just trying us for the first time are completely taken away because they're stepping outside of their comfort zone a little bit and then trying these new things. But there's also a lot of things that are not over their heads. I mm-hmm. mean, it's stuff that they're used to. Like having any dish remind them of something, even though they haven't had that exact dish that we're serving, to remind them of a dish that they grew up having and to kind of connect that is really awesome to see. Um, but the town has embraced us. They've been, I don't, I'm not going to say that they, 
I don't have any actual like evidence that it's a fact, but I feel like they had been waiting for me to come back because you know I just took off quietly three I years have, ago. I have raising my hand over here. <laughs> I was like, "Where's Gary Kim? What's going on?" <laughs> that was a hashtag my friend started. Yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. But uh, Portsmouth is kind of struggling with that. They want to keep that sort of blue collar, you know, the pubs and all those things, and not make it too bougie. But just because of the small gentrification there, like in any suburban town, I guess you could say. Is that you know there's they want the new but they don't want it to be like overly fancy and we mm-hmm. are not that at all we're super casual we're super fun unpretentious like you know just come in you know whether you want a full meal or if you want to just have a couple bites or just hanging out like you're welcome to do that it's more than just a restaurant it's a social space so that you know anybody can just go in there and do whatever they want to do well not anything they want to <laughs> do but you know respectively yeah. from drinks hanging out with their friends and eating. But positive vibes only. But no, yeah, no nonsense, no positive, <laughs> and positive vibes only. Love it. And Isaac, our producer, mentioned your cocktail program. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Ke- uh, Kevin Walsh, who is my bar manager, um, he's uh, he used to work down here, he used to work at town, but um, he just has a passion for a cocktail. So he kind of became um, this Michael Jack, which was the guy that kind of sparked this whole world of craft cocktails which I was not familiar with at all and changed my perception of like what a drink could be um, but Kevin is just doing a fantastic job making cocktails that pair with the food and the cocktail program is just super fun um, we do our own version of a milk punch uh, we do uh, which is a soju based and Wait, what's then, soju just to... soju is the basically the Korean version of sake Ah, okay. It's like yeah. a rice wine, right? Yeah, it's basically cr- mm. vodka. Okay. Korean vodka. Sounds so dangerous and delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> great. Pairs well with food, but yeah, the hangover is not so nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, the craft cocktails, I mean, just like with the food, like just to not be pigeonholed into any particular style and just allow him to use ingredients that he's never used before from the because of the menu and because of all the stuff that we have in our dry storage or whatever we bring in so he gets to play around with a bunch of different things um but yeah i mean it's obviously a lot of beer um in the area but i mean for the people who have an appreciation for a really well-made cocktail i would say that you could probably say that we may have the best ones. Ooh, it's up I there. love it. It's I love cocktails. So, <laughs> yeah. Mr. Kim sounds right up my alley. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait to go. Absolutely. Did you happen to have any of the dishes or drinks that he mentioned? When um, you on I visit? had the sliders, which are fantastic. I'm trying to remember what I had for a drink. It was a while ago because it would have been before I was pregnant. Um, I had something tiki inspired and it was delicious. I don't know, the coca aioli and then there's the Mr. Kim's tiger, tiger style. I think that's what I had. It has the little, like, edible paper on it. Yes. Yes, that's That's what I had. That's been on since the beginning. It was fantastic. Yeah, people love it. It was really good. Gary, we were talking about a lot of the changes and the gentrification in Portsmouth, and I want to know, what are some of your hopes for, like, in an ideal world? What what are some things that you like about what's changing in Portsmouth, and what are some things that you want to see? I guess what would be great about the changes in Portsmouth is bringing a lot of young professionals or families um, so it's sort of diversifying the demogra- overall demographic. What I would love to see is just more diversity in the ethnic restaurants, um, just to switch it up. Yeah. I mean, just like any New England town, there's so many, there's your go-to seafood places, 
burger places, sandwich places, pizza places, but you know, there's other foods out there that need to be eaten. <laughs> so um, luckily we get to definitely fill that. Um, there's another great Vietnamese place that just um, t- took over a really well-known and beloved sandwich place, but they're offering a very small but focused uh, Vietnamese menu. Um, I mean, obviously more Asian food for me, like the mall up there would be great because no one goes to malls anymore. So make it into like an H Mart or like a strip mall where there's take a I don't page know. from LA where all the best. Yeah, food exactly. Is in yeah. Strip malls. No, totally. <laughs> I spent some time at strip malls last week in LA. Oh, yeah, no, it's awesome. It doesn't need to be the formal like you know brick and mortar space or standalone building. Like it can be tucked away and just be a total treasure. You got to run a pop up school, Gary. <laughs> you gotta run because that's the way to test these things out, right? Yeah, no, and definitely. Done, and you've done it. Well, I think about when you were at Ornell, which is, let's be honest, kind of a cursed restaurant space. Yeah, they've seemed to be doing pretty well, and I had yeah. a great meal there. Uh, but that's a really interesting way to kind of keep it going. And I know what you're saying about the young professionals. My dream was always to move back to Portsmouth after graduate school and open like a version of Formaggio Kitchen. That's what I thought I was going to do. But it's it's tough. There's not a lot of a lot of jobs there. Uh, but it's such a beautiful place. Yeah, no, it's definitely its own little place. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there are some talks of a f- potential like food pod type of situation going on Ooh. right near the Market Square. Um, that's like a couple years out. But I mean, some of the places that have opened up that didn't last like maybe less than a year, like weren't focused, but they weren't doing anything that was different from like, say, Moxie or Jumpin' Jays or like, all the usual suspects that people go know and love that come to Portsmouth. Yeah. So we're trying to infiltrate and get on that top of mind list. Right. Speaking of Portsmouth restaurants, uh, if someone like one of our listeners is going to take a trip to Portsmouth, what is your favorite restaurant other than Mr. Kim's? Where would you send them? For Portsmouth? Yes. I mean, my my natural response would be the Black Birch, but that's not in Portsmouth. Um, it's It's literally right over the bridge. But for Portsmouth... Um, my friend Dave's restaurant, Vita Cantina, um, he just got nominated on the semifinalist list for James Beard last year uh, with Tony. Um, um, he's doing really awesome um, Mexican-inspired food from his heritage. He's from SoCal originally. I forgot what region. His family's from in Mexico, but um, filling that void for that particular style. I mean, because there's a handful of other places that do it, but he had, he's doing it the best. Obviously, Moxie um, for the American-style tapas. He worked with Tom Thomas Keller, so he's bringing that whole level of experience um, by doing New England-inspired um, food. Um, but my personal favorite restaurant, I mean... I gotta say, it's gotta be most sub because it's always yes. been there and it's consistent. And I just, I just love the bread and just you know the uh, the potency that you get from the smell of the onions. It's just like oh, it's never changed since 1997 since I started having it. Oh, before then, because my dad had it as a kid and he is in his late sixties. Molly, have you had oh, a most sub yet? No, I don't know this place. Literally, you didn't tell me about I it. I can't believe I didn't tell you about it. It's definitely hell? in the guide that I wrote, and it was. I the, don't think it is. Yes, it 100 percent is. There's no way <laughs> I would not. I'm gonna put do it a in. quick search on. Or the you must have website. axed it because it's like my number one thing after I had my baby. Both my babies. My first request was a huge most sub. So it's just an old school sub shop. This is an old school place, I believe, started in Portsmouth. Yes, that's the original it's location. Been there forever. And, okay. Um, I mean, it's not it's not the best Italian sandwich if you love if you're like a connoisseur of sandwiches, I guess. But 
for me, it's just super comfort. I love everything. Everything about is it. sliced. I mean, it's not like house like made no. capicola or something. It's like probably boar's head or whatever, but it's super thin sliced. Like the pickles are like paper thin and the onions are paper thin and everything is super thin. Awesome. Great Oil fill, and vinegar. Great filling to bread ratio. Oh, it's perfect. It is. Okay. I'm adding it to my list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Few things get me as animated as most subs. <laughs> We asked our Instagram followers if they had any questions for you, and someone chimed in. This person says, so many chefs mess up fusion. What makes your version worth it? Because I just don't think of the mindset of considering a fusion. I'm just doing what anybody would do. I just take one thing and another thing and add it together. And you know, if it tastes great, at the end of the day, if it tastes good, then I'm going to do it. Um, I just don't, I don't know, fusion, I guess it makes sense if you want to use it but for me like i don't think about that i mean at the end of the day if it looks good and it tastes good then i mean um for me that's all that matters i'm not trying to reinvent the wheel or anything and i don't certain i mean we're definitely not like traditional traditional which i could do but i have to translate that so that other people who didn't grow up with that are not familiar with that have to do it too but also make sure that they are interests are peaked and they want to keep doing what they're doing and not get bored with the same thing. Um, so to answer your question, if I did try to answer it, is that for me, <clears throat> our food is just unique for where we are and what we're offering is just something that is special to my own personal experiences. So essentially you are coming into my house and I'm just making you a meal. And you know, my team is making you drinks and making you feel good. And that's it. Great answer. Mm-hmm. So, Gary, we finish every episode with a rapid-fire round of questions. So I would like to ask you if you could name your favorite Portsmouth dumpling. Mr. Camps. <laughs> Normally, I tell people that they can't say their own thing or make fun of them, but in this situation, I was thinking, 100%. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 uh, dive. I would have say the uh, original State Street Saloon. The original oh, buildings burned R. down, R. and they're now in a new space. But State Street Saloon was like my favorite diving bar. Dessert? The passion fruit cheesecake over at Beach Bay. Ooh, cool. I went there. And lastly, date spot? I would say the Black Birch. Cool. Good answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. Okay. Black Birch is the right answer for everything in my book. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And plus, it holds a very special place in my heart. I love those guys over there. Hi guys, Catherine here. I know you're used to hearing me talk about restaurants and my human babies and occasionally my fur babies, but I want to share a little bit about my other baby, Not Just Company. I started Not Just to help you eat better at home using modern pantry staples like our crazy delicious flagship product, Not Just Pasta Sauce. It's made with 10 veggies, has no added sugar, plus it's vegan and gluten-free. But the best part is it helps you get a healthy, tasty dinner done fast. On the nights you aren't hitting the Boston restaurant scene, of course. Imagine coming home from work, popping open a jar, adding a few fresh ingredients, and sitting down to shakshuka or quinoa chicken meatballs or chana masala before you've even finished your first glass of wine. 